0: Well, good morning again. Let me catch my breath. Okay, from the back and forth. Okay, I'm not just kidding. Hey, uh, like I said, my name is Ross. We're super excited. We're jumping into a new two-week series on a book called Jude. We're calling it Verse by Verse, so Through the Book of Jude. And what you'll find is we'll read verse by verse. We'll walk through a lot of the passages uh, within the next two weeks. We may not dissect every single verse word for word going to the Greek. Any of that, but what we want to do is want to grow in the way in which the Lord has for us through the book of Jude. And we know that we can trust this word because Jude was inspired to write it by God uh, for us to be reading and walking through today. And so we want to trust that that the ways in which his word may take root in our life, may may edify us, may help us grow in him and train us in the way of righteousness uh, this morning. I want to first just share uh, maybe a confession to you. Um... Because this morning, we'll see in Jude some warning signs that Jude... What's important about a storm chaser's job? You see, the guys I watch, they're in their basement with all their high-tech stuff, really educated, and watching digitally storms show up on radars and what's going to happen. They then call people on the ground who are storm chasing, right? And they're driving, they're getting to it. and, And what happens is they're like, hey, what's actually on the ground, you know? So they take this evidence by what they see. And they and they compute to like get the ground boots on the ground, what do they see? And then they share these warnings, these alerts, right? And we benefit from those. Hopefully, some of us. But but you know, all their work is done in vain if no one listens. If they share a warning and alert, but no one takes step and to actually listen to it and, and and take advice, seek shelter. It's a tornado. You see, I've grown to be a a great um, version of an Iowan, like many of you, who when I hear warning, when I hear alert uh, of a tornado coming, my first instinct is to send my family downstairs and step outside on the front porch, you know? I'm like, where is it at? And I'm so bold to look at my neighbors and say, hey, you better get inside. It looks bad. You know, you should go inside. I'll tell you, I'll call you if it gets crazy. I'll save your trampoline. I'll do all that. Maybe that's the confession that I need to grow to take alert and warning. But all in all, the, these alerts, these warnings, they, they take no effect. They, they are in vain if no one listens. See, in Jude, in our passage this morning, what we find is this powerful warning from Jude that must take root in the church and the people that were here and then, and that thus must take root in our lives. Because this warning leads us to fully embrace the grace of Jesus in every aspect and warns us against those who don't. Warns us against those who don't. What we see in contrast is examples of those who don't. And what we powerfully step into today is in Christ, we be examples of those who can. Take warning and live in his grace. And so today we're going to read our passage. It's Jude. It's one chapter. Someone asked me, You're going to spend two weeks in one chapter. There's much more we could get to, but today we get to cruise through a piece and get to as much as we can. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read it. It's going to sound like a mouthful, but what I want you to do is, if you can, open the Bible under your seat. If you go all the way to the back, right before Revelations, Jude, sometimes forget it's there, overlook it. I would love for you to read along with me, not out loud, but to yourself. Because it might sound like a mouthful, and if I'm just, you're just listening, but if you're reading along, you maybe be in to connect the dots, as we will together as we continue on. So, I'll read it out loud. You just follow along in your Bible. You can use your phone. You can use the one in your seat, wherever. Uh, hopefully, your phone app has, you know, if it's the right Bible, it has Jude in it. So, search for that. And the ones in the seats do as well. Okay. So, Jude 1 through 16, here goes. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our, our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already knew all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding towns, gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. The very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. The very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit in Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees, without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. There are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of the holy ones to judge everyone and to give it all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you help us as we walk through your word? Would you illuminate the warning signs Jude shows us? For the people then, but what it looks like for us now, God, would you help us take step in trusting your word? So God, as we walk together, I pray that you would bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we might be thinking, what a mouthful. Jude's on to something. And I value reading in, in such a, 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 a compound text that, that we get to walk through together because you can pick up along the way the pieces that you maybe heard this word or that along the way and really see the difference Jude is going to make in these people's lives. So so right after this, you might be asking, who's Jude? And he comes straight forward to you, right? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He's a servant of the Lord Jesus. You see what's unique about Jude is he's also the brother of James, which James was the half-brother of Jesus, which makes Jude the half-brother of Jesus. And so Jude is so humble in approach that he doesn't pull the family card. Hey, I'm Jude, Jesus' half-brother flipping his collar, whatever. You know, he doesn't do that. He comes humbly, I'm a servant, because at this time, and specifically in Jesus' life, his family hadn't come along yet. But yet, like James, like Jude, they'd come to recognize Jesus as Savior, come to serve him. And at this time, Jude and James were leaders of the church. God was using and inspiring, as we see, to write to the people. He's a servant, he says. And what was his aim? Verse 3, we see mercy and peace, Love be yours. But although I was eager to write about what? The salvation we share. He was eager to write a positive, encouraging letter, in which he still does, but in a different light. And yet, something shifts. I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share in verse 3, but I felt compare, compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once was for all entrusted God's holy to God's holy people. See, the church addressed by Jude, which we don't know specifically who, they had heard the apostles' teaching. They had come to life in Christ. They have been radically changed. They believed it and accepted it. However, they were in the season of changing times. And you know, with changing times comes struggle, comes comes seeping in uncertainty, comes wondering. They maybe haven't heard a uh, uh, any new revelation? They haven't heard from maybe some of the apostles uh, much recently. And yet, in these challenging, changing times, their faith grew maybe ever so discontent. But yet, Jude is saying, Contend. Exert that intense effort to keep your faith. And so here we have these authentic believers who he's compelling. Keep the faith, and, and this compelling, as he's inspired, keep the faith for something bad's going on that we find very quickly. Because in the midst of these changing times, there were these ungodly people, these false teachers, who were seeping in, sneaking in, who have slipped in. So this morning, what I'd like to do is, is walk through three warning signs that we find in Jude, that Jude's giving the church then, and, and maybe giving us now. Because we'll see some of the parallels in which we may slip into, which we may find among us. And like Jude's warning to them, we may be warned today. So, number one, if you're taking notes with us, is this. Point number one. These false teachers, these ungodly people, what they were doing is abusing God's grace and denying Jesus. And and Jude 4, for certain individuals, right, whose condemnation was written long ago, have slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord. This is so severe. Like it, As you just initially read it, you see they're rejecting something very big. Two things specifically. One, they're perverting God's grace as a license to sin. Have you ever thought, you know, if you're in Christ, if you follow Jesus, you've surrendered to him. You know, I can, you know, you may be tempted to do something. I can just do it. He'll, he'll still forgive me. His grace is enough, so let me just do it. See, here's what these ungodly people were diving into. Using the grace of God as this license for immorality, this license for further sin. We have teenagers in the room. I know there's some teens in here. As adults, we know this. But as you grow up, you go and get your license for driving, right? As a teenager, you're probably on this journey you're wanting to get that license you know what a license does it permits you to legally drive so if anyone were to stop you they say how can you drive let me show you this license with a really bad picture we should figure that out you know like can we smile yet i don't know in my in my time they're like look mad and i'm like why i'm a joyful person just look bummed out that's what the lady told me literally just look like not smiley i'm like okay you know, and I just smiled quick, and she's like, you messed up. We have this license to drive, right? What they were doing is, is confiding and trusting in the grace of Jesus, but wanting to separate it from his sovereign lordship. They were using his grace, his license to say, you know what? But Jesus died for it. He forgives me, so I can just do my own thing. I can... Pick my own way. I can sin and may sin abound in me, but his grace abounds all the more. See this grace card? Remember why Jesus died? But the very opposite, they were denying Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord as one who had authority. See, these false teachers were happy to have his grace, but so gladly to deny his authority, to deny his command, to deny his way of life. In the way of my sin, I have this grace, but in the way of my life, well, he can't tell me what to do. Do we ever find ourselves in similar positions? Or we go on choosing sinful patterns and just knowing, ah, he'll forgive me, his grace may abound. But yet when we come to a command to maybe love our neighbor, we may say, you know what, Jesus, I don't know if I want to do that, though but I do love your grace. So I don't want to love my neighbor, but I do love your grace. So just like, keep giving me that grace, but like, I don't care to love my neighbor. They're terrible and hateful. Why would I want to do that? Maybe we've fallen in at times in our life where we are willing to admit his grace abounds and willingly pursuing sin, but yet failing to see him as sovereign Lord, authoritative God, who commands a way in which we must live to obey him. See, Jesus is both Lord and Savior. Scripture is so explicitly clear. His life, death, and resurrection wasn't just this get-out-of-hell-free card or get-out-of-sin-free card. It was a way and rule and life-changing attempt to bring you back to him. That his life and death and resurrection would not be in vain but to win you back to him, to forgive you, to give you life in him. And that in this life, he would be our king and ruler. He would be our authority and master in every way, with every pursuit that we would submit to him. Colossians 1.18 reminds us he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And maybe, you know, I don't know if you've been to the eye doctor recently. Maybe this can help you see, well, not like that, but like in this illustration. So, so if you've been like to the eye doctor recently, you'll see that they do a series of tests and there's this chart on the wall, right? And they're doing their best to help you read it. So they go through a varying, uh, I'm surely scientific method to do that and change lenses in your eyes and make you go half blind here, half blind there. Can you see? Go out of the room, it's dark, all that kind of stuff. But there's this chart in the wall that you need to read. So this chart displays a bunch of letters from big font sizes to small, right? And, and uniquely enough, the letter at the top, does anyone know it? It's an E. It's It's giant. Every letter below is smaller and gets lesser and lesser. And really, the, the doctor's goal is to hopefully help you read that big letter, right? If we could just, can you read the, the E? Okay, we can work with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you read the E? No, okay, you're good. Can you read the smaller stuff? Okay, you got great vision, I guess. You don't need this or that. But like the E is what we're after. That that, that vision of seeing that. You see, like, like the E on the eye chart, which reigns supreme. Like, you see it first and foremost, big, top, above all. Everything else is lesser. That's Jesus. He is authoritative, reign, ruler, king above kings. He is it. He reigns supreme. Nothing else compares to his bigness, to his goodness, to his authority. It all must come underneath. And it all comes smaller. That he may increase and in us we decrease. That he is the top. He is the Lord above all. And to accept his grace, yet deny his lordship. That is what we're seeing in these ungodly people. And that, my friends, is what we wrestle with even today. We love his grace, yet don't want to follow his authority. Love his grace, yet don't want to obey his command. For that can be hard. So just then, as you receive Christ in Colossians 2.6, 6, speaking of spiritual fullness, continue to live your lives in him. We not only get to experience the, the big, authoritative Jesus, but we get to live our lives rooted in him, trusting in him. because yet these ungodly, false teachers reject his command, deny him as Lord, fully licensing his grace to sin, And that, my friends, is so ungodly of them. So not only were these ungodly people using this grace as a license, denying Jesus, they also lived, point number two, fruitless lives. And Jude begins to jump into these examples of these fruitless lives before us. See, we see these examples, but but starting in Jude 12, he, he mentions this. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. And if we jump into to, to Jude 6, continuing in our passage, he gives this example of angels who had chosen to, to rebel. And instead of producing fruit by the which way they were created, created to, to honor and glorify Christ, they chose their own passage, passions. And in Genesis 6, referencing them sleeping with humans. Later in verse 7, Jude uses this brilliant example because they would have known it so well of sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding towns which gave themselves up to sexual immorality perversion homosexuality all of these things their own fleshly desires and when they gave themselves to those way god as a good good judge has judgment and we see in times where he has judged yet even with these angels he's bound up for the day of judgment even with Sodom and Gomorrah, they serve as this example of the judgment of eternal fire of hell. See, this example, which would have been well known, and Ezekiel 16 also mentions as Sodom being prideful, doing detestable things before God, and yet deserving his judgment. Later in the passage, Jude uh, uses Enoch's um, quote, he, in Jude 14 through 15, uh, he mentions Enoch, said them from Adam, prophesied about them. And this comes from the book of Enoch, which isn't in our Bible today, but it was a really well known Jewish writing then. And Enoch was this righteous man who knew God so well. And yet he said this See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed and their ungodliness. And all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them, against him. And see, we we maybe look at these examples of times God has has judged or set aside for judgment to come. We maybe look at the evil in our world today and question: why, God, aren't you just judging now? Can your timeline hurry up for me to not be either persecuted or hurt in the evil schemes of the world we live in? But yet, as Peter reminds us. Second Peter 3, 9, this character of God of patience. said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That he is fully Lord, righteous judge. He does not turn from seeing sin, but sees it. He knows the ungodly when they're before him. But yet in patience he acts, and we think for us, if we were to be judged by our ungodliness, judged by our sinful life, what our punishment would be. It would be eternal. It would be hell. But yet, God in his patience and love for you offered time for repentance in him. That we may know him. That we have life in him. That instead of condemning us, for our sin and our faults stood before him. He yet has patience for our very souls until the day of righteous judgment comes when he fully judges those ungodly and those just righteously, rightly. So not only abusing God's grace, denying Christ, living fruitless lives and examples we've seen before and examples we may See, in our own life today, living these fruitless lives, but all together, and point number three is this, they had rebellious hearts. See, these ungodly people had these rebellious hearts. Ha- have you ever had a dream that felt just so real? felt like reality, right? Like in your life, you, you know, you're, you go to sleep one night and that dream felt so real. See, there's a point in your sleep, uh, REM and, and not the band or anything short for the band. It's REM it's rapid eye movement. And in this point of your sleep, most often you can have these real feeling dreams. And maybe some other times, I'm not really sure, but that's typically it. So in these real feeling dreams, what happens is when you wake up, you test the dream you had against what? The truth. Do I still have my arm? Because that was a nightmare and then my arm fell off. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Glad that was just a dream. I felt so real. Or on the other end, you wake up and you check your bank account. Oh, he didn't win the million dollars. Okay, I really wish that one was real, right? You know? And it can be positive, negative, whatever dreams. You see, uh, we test them against the reality. We test them against the truth that we wake up and see, that we know. You see, these false teachers, they would recall these dreams that they claim would be from God, and yet... Those dreams would lead themselves and attempting to lead others against God's word, against his truth, against his command. They were fully rebellious in this way because what they were really trying to do is choose their own selfish path and bring others along. Jude 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. They were choosing the dreams that they had to come above the authority of God, the truth of his word, not testing it with reality or his truth, and choosing sexual and moral acts to do in God's name. To, to do these ungodly acts by these dreams they had, they claimed to be God, but yet they purely were lies and not verse 10, yet these people slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. They've slandered God and like animals choose whichever path they would like, untamed and full of destruction. See my friends, if we're not careful, we can fall into a similar trap of our dreams of what life could look like, our dreams of what reality should be, and yet t- not testing it against God's word. And when we don't, we fall into the similar path of destruction of brokenness of darkness. That if we don't test it against God's word and surrender to his full authority, which he has given to us to discern by his Holy spirit, we could fall into the way of destruction, choosing our own path, our own dream, our own desire, instead of his woe to them. In verse 11, he says, they've taken the way of Cain three examples of people Uh, they've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit in Balaam's area. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Uh, Cain and Abel, as we might know in Genesis four, took a self-righteous route. Balaam, who was a wicked prophet, chose greed over obeying God in Numbers 22. Korah, rebellion against Moses and his authority that God had given him. He really wanted just to say, give me a share of this leadership, Moses. Uh, give me a share of this. I believe I deserve it. And yet rebelled against Moses and God. We know that these ungodly people are self righteous, greedy, rebellious, and the deepest apart, rebellious in heart. They don't want to follow God's command. They don't want to test their dreams against his his word. They don't want to follow his way. They'd rather create, dream, and choose their own and rebellion. Verse 12, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm shepherds who feed only themselves, you might be surprised. Why won't they have any issue eating with us and fellowshipping with us? Maybe taking part in communion with us. Why? Because they're feasting on us because they're consuming us. So these ungodly false teachers, Jesus even said in Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They're looking to devour. Satan's scheme to divide, to separate, to cause harm to his people, to God's people, cause harm to God's church. Jude closes, these people are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own ways and evil desires, boast about themselves, and flatter others with their own advantage. His ungodly people were far from God, yet choosing to deny his authority and cling on to his grace doesn't work that way living fruitless lives and having rebellious hearts. And you might at this point through that roller coaster of happenings, of warnings, of moments with Jude illuminates the church, then maybe convict some of us now, be like, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Can we take this sad song and make it better? I made those words up by myself. So you're welcome. But truly we, we, we may shift and say, where is the goodness? And, and we see next week, Pastor Mark's going to be preaching on second half of this chapter, and we see this remaining in Christ that, that, that is the goodness. But today we go back to Jude three and Jude's writing. What was it? A call to contend, a call to stand firm, to fight. Uh, The reality is the only way we contend in faith is to know Jesus, is to trust Jesus, is to surrender to Jesus. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way we contend, stand firm, fight for our faith in times of changing, in times of where the, the wolves in sheep's clothing are coming in, trying to devour and take part. When Satan's schemes seem so heavy in our culture today, the way to contend is in Jesus, is in Christ. You know, you think if you bank at a, at a bank in town, which most likely maybe most of you do, we, we trust them with our money, right? We trust them. And, and when we go to give our money, they have this really important job. And the job is to spot the counterfeits, to spot the fakes, right? They need to make sure that what's coming in is real. And you might go down to think, well, to spot a good counterfeit, to spot a fake is to just go through class and look at all the fakes that's ever been made. You know, anything that's ever made that's been a fake and be an expert at seeing the fakes. But, but rather uh, that's not the case. You know what they become experts in? Spotting the original, seeing what's real. Bank tellers are experts in finding the real thing. And you see, it's actually our life is far greater than just doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing. It's far greater than just hoping we can make it and earn enough to get there, but it's actually spotting the real thing that gets us there and has been there for us all along in Jesus. That we as people need to grow to be experts and surrendering to him and, and, and recognizing him and pleasing him. And when we do, we become experts in the real thing. And the true Christ, who says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know the burden he's mentioning, so heavy is sin. The burden of you can't do enough, you can't try enough, you can't earn enough to reach him. But his new way, his burden, and this yoke that rabbis would say, the yoke that Jesus is mentioning, essentially the yoke they would say is, say, come learn from my way of interpreting the Torah. Learn from my way of interpreting scripture. Learn from my way and pursuit of life. And may you draw close to God through it. Jesus, on the other hand, is saying, hey, I am the way in the life. I am the way in which you take my yoke. You take my life. The burden is light because you're no longer carrying the burdens you had for I've forgiven you. I offer grace to you. And in my way of life comes true freedom, freedom for eternity to be yes, but even freedom for our very days today and Christ So in Jesus, we're able to grow from abusing God's grace and denying his authority to embracing his grace and living by his authority. In Jesus, we're able to live fruitful lives by his Holy Spirit, a gift to us that he may live in and through us on display for the world to see his people. That that in Jesus, we no longer are stuck in the route of rebellion with rebellious hearts but may turn to him and surrender and trusting him fully, having devoted hearts, allegiant hearts in him. In Jesus, we contend for our faith and we know the ungodly people so well who abuse God's grace, lack fruit and rebel. But yet in and through that, we see who the godly ones are. Those who not take his grace for granted, but embrace it fully living by his divine authority. By producing spiritual fruit in our life and by chasing after him can trusting in him connecting with him each and every day of our life so what for you maybe you've been in a position of abusing his grace as a license to continue to sin you know what your step is today to turn and repent to repent and accept his grace but then take on his authority to live different to live obedient Uh, maybe you've been living a fruitless life you claim to know jesus Yet the fruits you have in life aren't showing it. Uh, The fruits you have in life are actually showing that the sin patterns you're in. You know what your step is today is actually turn to Jesus. Repent and be rooted in obedience to him, which produces the fruit of your very life by the power of the Holy Spirit to be on display. Uh, Maybe you are in full rebellion today. You uh, don't want anything to do with Jesus, but yet you heard something today, his patience with you, his love for you, his his step towards you and a sacrifice of his very life. And maybe you want to turn to Jesus and surrender. We're all in a step and a walk with Jesus. We all can take steps forward with him. So which will it be for you? May you, like me, heed this warning from Jude, heed it for your very lives, but also for those among you. May we together in unity, step away from division, and walk further in truth of him, testing our lives with his word and obediently following him to the very end, having fruit-filled lives and obedient hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. I pray for any of my friends in the room, that the step they feel convicted to take. Even right now, God, I pray that you would, with the power of your Holy Spirit, help them uh, identify and take root and, and share it with somebody. Maybe there's a person in the room that needs to initially surrender. They they have walked in the way of the rebellion, but today they want to find new life in you, Jesus. So would they share that with someone? Accept your grace and mercy for their life by surrendering theirs to you. God, maybe a person in the room who has been so far taking your grace and abusing it to license to further sin. But God, I pray today that you would strengthen my brother or sister to stand firm. Obey you. God, wherever we're at, I pray your Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us, and direct us. God, thank you for Jude. Thank you for inspiring words that even impact our heart today. May we go forward, heeding the warning, not only in our own life, but in those around us, leading others to you in pursuit and connection with you. Jesus name we pray. Amen.